Welcome. Um, the sermon is probably not about a great deal, but if you could remember something, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And some of you are already thinking, gosh, I can't possibly think or say that. So we'll pray and then it'll all be all right. So uh, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity um, to worship you freely, as Richard's already prayed, to, to study your word, to celebrate the work of Christians around the world, particularly Tear Fund. And Lord, would you help through this service to show us where we can play a more active part by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I was given a title, New Strength. You're going to have to use your imagination to work out where that fits in. There's my disclaimer. It's uh, challenging and inspiring to read uh, Philippians 1 verse 18, uh, that the Apostle Paul, in defiance to his circumstances, was able to rejoice in his mission to share the gospel, knowing that the prayers and the care of the Philippian church were there to support him. It's humbling for me to see those in great distress and danger that, like the Apostle Paul, seem to be able to find some rejoicing that defies their circumstances. My um, overseas mission experience is really, really limited. So I'm sure quite a few of you sort of trump me on this. But I have been abroad a few times, not normally on mission, but that probably doesn't count. Uh, but I remember one time about eight years ago um, going to South Africa. Have we got any South Africans in the uh, congregation here? There's prob- well done, welcome. There's probably more need in the UK, so we're not picking on South Africa here. But we happened to go on mission to South Africa and to Durban. And one of my youngest sons uh, was just about old enough. On, he had to be 16, he was 15 a little bit, birthday and he was there. We went to Durban. And Chris decided, and he was the youngest person there, that where he needed to serve, we did check he had all the jabs, uh, was in an orphanage with AIDS victims, little babies. But you should have seen their faces light up to be held and to be played with by these youngsters that had come from the UK. I found it really, really humbling. Babies and children with AIDS shining faces and filled with joy. Some of us have probably been deeply moved if we've been abroad, but you might even get it in this country to receive hospitality from those who have nothing. You come as honoured guests and they just give you the best of the best that they have to offer. Or how about those who seemingly have nothing. And there was a picture of some of them, thousands of them, on the video a little bit earlier, that in their apparent poverty seem to be able to express the most exuberant praise in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not always so. Sometimes things are just so, so desperate, but to raise a limb, or to have another breath feels like a struggle and such people don't need to be ignored. 
I wonder what their prayers sound like. We trust that God and his church is listening. And I, for one, have probably had partial hearing. The message embodied by the Apostle Paul was despite all his struggles, extreme suffering, false accusations, beatings, being imprisoned in chains, he was able to proclaim in the power of the Spirit, verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It continues, verse 22, If I'm to go on living in the body, this will be more fruitful for me. Yet what shall I choose? I desire to depart with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Can we say wholeheartedly with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ And to die is gain. I think it takes a deep understanding of the gospel, of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished in his death and resurrection to come close to be able to say those words. Where would you go in your Bible to strengthen your faith in such things? So when we're thinking about death and resurrection and the hope that we had, where would you go? Just a few moments to think. Bit of an unfair question maybe. I go to Romans 8, a passage that I was invited to read at my father's funeral just over 10 years ago. He died with cancer but lived longer than predicted. He was a vicar. You can pray... (laughs) Yes, it sort of happens in our family. Uh, he, he, he wanted no sermon or eulogy at his funeral. Not everyone listened to him. But I was allowed to read from Romans 8. This is what and all he wanted said. After a few wobbles on the way, he died with this confidence. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all the day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Who would like that read at their funeral? Those of us who believe in Jesus' death and resurrection have this wondrous hope. To live is Christ and to die is gain. This is hard for some of us to believe and say, but it still remains true. 
you obviously need faith in Christ to be able to think and say it. Abundant grace to actually say and mean it. The Apostle Paul would have said this in prison at real risk of losing his life at any moment on the whim of the guards. Although Paul was being positive and faithful at this time, he was also human like you and me and would have had dark moments and a few wobbles on the way. Faith gives enormous strength to defy our temporal circumstances and offers an eternal perspective. As Christians, we believe in the sanctity of human life. But I suspect if I did a straw poll, we might apply that principle differently. There's something holy and sacred about life. We believe that every human being is special to and loved by God. They need to live in freedom and safety with food and clean water. Christians believe that life is a gift and God is the giver. This becomes highly contentious when the well-being of babies, born and unborn, or their mothers are at stake, so too for those struggling with their health and well-being in later years. All life, whatever our condition, has immeasurable worth. But is there a natural end? Do we resuscitate or artificially prolong life? When praying for people who are terminally ill or in their twilight years, I often pray that nothing would prevent them from fulfilling their God-given purposes here on earth. That feels like quite a safe prayer that God would keep people here to do his will as long as he wants and that nothing would stop that happening. Some of us have been in a position where we've stared death in the face. Maybe it was only imagined for a few moments, but nonetheless we were there. Some Christians cope with these moments better than others. There's a natural fear of the unknown. There's often a fear of the dying process rather than the fear of death itself. (coughs) Excuse me. For some, and even people of faith, there's a fear of both. That said, faith in Jesus helps us to conquer our fears. What is being proclaimed in Philippians 1 is not about illness, though, or an elective death. Paul is staring death in the face for daring to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul finds freedom in Christ and does not fear death or his captors. Paul puts his destiny 
in God's hands. If he has some earthly usefulness in serving the gospel, he's prepared to stay and work and help more people to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's been suggested that our potential fruitfulness for the gospel rests on our understanding of the truths held in these passages. What do you believe about our partnership in sharing the gospel here and now? What is your future hope? Is it to live is Christ and to die is gain? We can trot these words out, but do we mean it? I was reading a commentary by Gordon Fee, who um, challenged me um, about some of these words. He writes, There's a strong tendency to speak thus, but in effect live otherwise. Too often for us it is... For me to live is Christ, plus work, leisure, accumulating wealth, relationships, etc., etc., etc. And if the truth were known, it's all too often the plus factor that's become our primary passion. For me to live is my work. For me to live is being a vicar. Now that would be rather sad if that was my whole reason for being. Both our progress and joy, he writes, regarding the gospel are altogether contingent on whether or not Christ is our primary, singular passion. I'd want to suggest that although this is a strong teaching and a really strong teaching, it also brings freedom. It's a healthy reminder that as Christians, God needs, needs to come first. Let me state quite clearly that our work, our play, our money, and our relationships all have value. Try living life without them, but they all need to come under God's loving authority. We can't take any of the extended list with us when we die. When it comes to costly choices in following Jesus, although there are many unsung, unsung ordinary effective stories of living the gospel, we're also inspired by the stories of the martyrs, stories of people who dying for their faith, have helped to plant seeds that have grown for generations. That's how the gospel spread. Costly discipleship, distinctive discipleship, sometimes costing people their lives. If you look into the history of some of our mission partners, there'd be many ordinary sacrificial stories, but also some extraordinary ones of people sharing the gospel and it costing them their lives. We know from the book of James that faith without works is dead. But as Christians, we also know that works without faith in Jesus is dead 
also. Today, our special focus is Tear Fund, who aim to combine these two principles, following Jesus where the need is greatest. Michael kindly sent me this story, which I'll read to you. A challenging story from Tear Fund around the time of its inception about the lengths some go to share the gospel in words and actions. I read, As a bullet grazed the skin of Bob McAllister's forehead, he dropped to the ground. Growing up playing cowboys and Indians in North Belfast, he'd learnt to play dead. Now with his family... It was their only way to survive. They lay motionless, holding their breaths until the rebels passed by. Bob, his family and other missionaries had been taken hostage in July 1964 in the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. Set within the ongoing tensions of the Cold War, the rebellion was led by the followers of Patrice, and I can't pronounce this, Lumumba. And anyone got that? Lumumba. Is that right? It'll have to do. Who'd been ousted from power in 1960 when the country took independence from Belgium? On the 24th of November 1964, some of you might remember that, I was a baby, the defeated rebel leadership ordered troops to flee and kill as many white people as they could. 19 missionaries and thousands of local Christians were slaughtered. Bob's best friend and fellow missionary, Hector, was killed, shot in the back four times. The McAllister family moved to the DRC in 1952 to begin missionary work. It had been a costly, it had been costly leaving the safety, hear this, the safety of Northern Ireland for the DRC. Bob used his practical skills to teach local people in construction and his skills as a pastor to plant churches. His wife Alma, a trained midwife, provided much-needed care for the new and expectant mothers. They spent three decades living and working in the DRC, serving God by serving local people. Like mustard seeds, their fellow missionaries and thousands of local Congolese Christians had been planted in the darkness of the conflict in the DRC. It was a place with little light, warmth and life. But the seeds took root and grew. Incredibly, after being rescued, the family went back and continued their work, establishing scores of churches, providing skills for hundreds of people, and assisting hundreds of new and pregnant mothers. Today, 50 years later, Bob's sons, David and Bill, are both bringing hope in the DRC. David is Tier Fund's DRC country director, running programs that help thousands of people out of poverty through agricultural, agricultural training and business support. Bill is currently establishing a university 
to invest in a generation, a generation of young leaders who can play a part in, a building, in building a stronger nation. It's particularly striking that a significant amount of this work is carried out through the churches and individuals who've been impacted by the lives of the McAllisters over the years. The seeds which were planted in such adversity have taken root, grown, and are now nurturing others. But there's much work and prayer to be done. Horrific crimes, including rape, are being committed against women and girls in the DRC on a daily basis, says David. Tear Fund is present in some of the most remote areas. Often only agents, the only agency with an active presence on the ground. They say we work with the government, local partners and agencies to help survivors recover from trauma, rebuild secure livelihoods and ensure access to safe water and sanitation. We're also equipping community groups to respond quickly to sexual violence. Bob went back to visit the DRC in 2014, age 19. He said, remembering back, as we were being held hostage, a rebel told Alba and me, there is no God. There are no Sundays anymore. We're going to wipe out the church of Jesus Christ. But today, in that same area, there are more churches than ever before. It's been worth everything we went through. Just a few short reflections. We're all called to invest ourselves and our lives in things that have eternal value. Most of us doing ordinary stuff by living as distinctive daily disciples of Jesus. The mustard seeds of faith we plant, those acts of love and kindness, will endure. Philippians 1.27 exhorts us, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It matters who we belong to, Jesus Christ, and how we live. People will be attracted to faith-filled, faithful followers of Jesus who are living a gospel that brings lasting transformation in the world. Let's pray. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and give us a fresh revelation 
of your glorious triumph over death, your ascension to the right hand of the Father, a confidence that you are interceding for us, a confidence that you delight in us, an assurance that you want to work with us, within and without. A belief that you who started a good work in us will continue it to completion. A resourcing that would help us to bring transformation in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, in the wider world. Lord, would you fill us with a revelation that you're waiting for us, but also in the waiting that you have much for us to do. So I pray in this time as we approach Pentecost for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, you don't call us to do everything. But you do call us to do the things that you've prepared for us in advance to do. Lord, would you help us to want to even know what that is? And give us the grace to put it into practice. Amen.